Our uh, final reading from today is from Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 23. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church, y'all. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Isaiah. I'm the associate pastor here at Christ the King. So good to be with you. Today we're wrapping up the last Sunday of our series on the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's also Christ the King Sunday. So some of y'all are showing up strong for the potluck. I saw you with your casseroles headed in the back. So that's, that's, we're looking forward to that. Um, it's also the end of the, our church year. So actually this is Christ the King Sunday marks the end of one church calendar year, and then next Sunday will be the beginning of the new year for us as we head into Advent. We have this focus on the incarnation of the second coming of Jesus, his presence with us, and you know how to live into some of the hardest parts of our world as it stands. So that's what you can look forward to in the next couple weeks um, as we're heading towards Christmas and Epiphany. But for today, we're wrapping up our month um, following this uh, theme of being led by the Spirit. So last month in October, we did Shape by Scripture. Um, Christ the King is a three streams church, and so we've been emphasizing each one of those streams in these months. So first, Shape by Scripture. This month has been led by the Spirit, and then this um, coming month in December through Advent, we'll be focused on strengthened by sacraments. So the today's uh, sermon is on the work and person of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to use this text out of Ephesians 1. Um, but don't worry, I'm not going to try to teach through this uh, run-on sentence that any English teacher would have, or probably, honestly, Greek teacher. I'm pretty sure, like, Paul is kind of notorious for that. So we're not going to try to do that. We'd be here all day, and we've got a potluck to get to. So we're just going to look at a couple of verses. But we're, I, I want you to hear one thing today, if you're going to hear one thing, and that's if you don't hear anything else, that encountering the Holy Spirit is encountering God's love. Encountering the Holy Spirit is encountering God's love. So the Holy Spirit is how we can know God's love experientially and how we can know our identity as beloved children. So if you just walk away with one thing, that would be worth the whole thing right there. Um, but let's start with this first verse from, uh, I think it's verse 13. In him you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of your inheritance. And this is, I promise, the only really nerdy thing we'll do today. But there is uh, this word about pledge and inheritance is related to this Greek word, arabon, arabon. And it's 
basically talking, there's a couple different ways we can think about it. One is that uh, of like an inheritance, like you would get a, a sum towards a larger inheritance. The other would be like thinking about maybe like an engagement ring might be the best like modern analogy. So it's like the marriage is to come. And just to be clear, it's not only for individuals, though it is very personal. And what we're talking today is very like talking about our identity is really personal. But we're also talking about the, the heavens and the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, right? So the consummation of things to come and like God setting the world to rights. And so we look forward to that day. So it's, a, it's sort of like a, a deposit or a foretaste of that world, which is to come in its fullness in the end. But even now in Jesus, by the Spirit, is beginning to come into our lives. And so it's like, a, it's like a promise, but it's a promise that actually it has a substance to it. It actually is of like quality with the fullness that is to come, even in its foretaste. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, the, the really important thing for us to realize here is that although when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we often think about like the mission of God in the world and maybe like evangelism or, you know, we think about the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit propels the church through persecution and mission and and that would be right. That's true. That's within the umbrella of the things that the Holy Spirit does in his church. Um, we also think maybe about the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit, and that's true as well. Those are, those are all part of the things that God's doing by his Spirit in his church. But the thing we want to focus on this morning that I think is actually maybe primary and first and foremost is that the Holy Spirit gives identity. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. And so as we're going to see today, that is the primary thing before all the, the rest, right? So mission is important. The gifts of the Spirit are important. The fruit of the Spirit is really important. Um, but we can't have any of those things without first encountering God's love in Christ, which we experience by the Spirit. Um, I think about even like the, in Acts when the Spirit comes, one of the first things that happens is that people begin to hear in a variety of languages. So it's a cross-cultural like event but they get to hear in their heart tongue, their heart language. So there's this real sense of like the spirit it doesn't come with just power in the sense of the world's power, but it comes in the power of like God speaking to people where they're at in their heart language. And that's the kind of thing that we're gonna look at today. So, and the reason that this is so important to talk about, especially like our identity and how we relate to God is because of course, we're always being inundated with all kinds of messages about our identity, right? So when you go to a party or maybe you were at Thanksgiving this last week, um, what's the first question, you know, you meet somebody new, what do, you, what do you guys ask each other? What's the thing you do? What's the first question? What do you do? That's right. Yeah, and so, and then there's, I mean, where did you go to school? Who's, who's your family? Maybe like in a more inter, in a discreet way, how much money are you making? How are you doing? Um, right? These are the kinds of things, right, that we, we both lead with and we ask of others. That's actually often the, the first thing that we um, like triangulate our identity off of. And so this becomes a really, really important thing for us to realize that our identity primarily does not come from our accomplishments, from our work, from our positions, from our education, from our family, but it comes from our belovedness. And we know our belovedness, and we'll, and we'll unpack more of this, but we know our belovedness by the Holy Spirit because God's love is poured out into our hearts because we can hear the voice of the Father. And this is the kind of life that we are actually made for. And so those other things, though they're not always inherently bad, like our work and, you know, the things we do and go to school and like, these are important things, but um, they are no substitute for our belovedness. They cannot stand in the place of it. You, you will always end up at a dead end road if that is your guiding principle in life. If those are the things that you're like living for. 
And we sort of like know this, but we don't always know the opposite. We don't always know where identity comes from, especially I think the difference between knowing something abstractly and knowing something in the experiential or personal way. Um, I was thinking this, uh, this week as I was watching, I don't know if any of you guys watched the, the, the Dallas Cowboys game, but Dolly Parton did the halftime show, okay? And that woman is a force of nature. I think she turns like 78 and she's out there singing. I still, I can't move my hips like that right now. And so anyway, it was just, I, I'm, I'm amazed by her. And also, if you know much of her story, she's actually, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, she grew up in East Tennessee. She came from poverty. She has like done a lot of really amazing stuff, both in her music, but also like, you know, she has this whole program for kids and literacy and all this kinds of stuff. And there's a lot of things that I could know about someone like Dolly Parton, or maybe if Dolly's not your jam, maybe Taylor. I know that she seems to be in the news a bit, dating some football player from somewhere. But um, you might know a lot about them. You, you, you might actually sound like you know like them, right? Because you know like all the different facts of their life. But, but in fact, like if you ever, if I like walked up to Dolly on the street, she wouldn't like know me actually. She wouldn't know what I'm like. I wouldn't know what she was actually like. And so there's no real relationship there. It's mostly just talking kind of in the abstract about facts. And so often I think sometimes like our relationship with God can become a little bit like that too, right? So we start to talk about God in the abstract. We know things that God's done for us. We know things about God. But when it comes to actually knowing God personally, what he's like, and like having ongoing interaction and relationship, that just feels like a harder thing. And so the good news today is that like the sending of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is given to us specifically for this thing so that we actually be able to come into our identity and we actually be able to know God and not just know about God. And so Paul begins to, this, uh, this prayer in this passage by saying he asked the Father that the Father might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So it's not just knowing about God, but it's actually knowing him. And it's not just something that happens in a moment Sometimes the thing that trips us up the most about the Holy Spirit is there are those who are like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit is like important, like technically we believe in it, it's in the creed, you know, we secure our salvation, but we don't really talk much about the Holy Spirit other than that. And it's important to affirm that the Holy Spirit is here for our salvation and that everyone who is here this morning and who is a Christian who has been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, you do have the Holy Spirit, that's true. And that's right to affirm. And there are others who maybe talk about the Spirit as like primarily maybe like, well, it's a secondary thing that happens to you later, a, a subsequent experience. And it's, you know, it's got to be accompanied by these certain kinds of things. And that's how you know that you have the Spirit. And if you don't, then you probably don't have the Spirit, which can cause a lot of heartache, right? If, if you're feeling like maybe you don't have quite all of those experiences um, or that's not the way that you've encountered the Lord. Um, but the truth is somewhere actually closer to the middle. Here we are doing the Via Media again, the Anglican way. But, but the truth is somewhat closer to the middle in the sense that we do have the Holy Spirit. We are given the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise. Um, we're also given the ongoing work of the Spirit in our life. And so it's actually not about one like mountaintop experience, but it's like it might include that and probably in your life, maybe many times even, but it's also the everyday experience of the Spirit. So like even Paul's encouragement later in this letter and in other places in the New Testament, he'll say, be filled with the Spirit. And really you could translate it, be like, be ongoingly filled with the Spirit of God. Not just one time, like subsequent experience, not something that just happens at your salvation, but an ongoing relationship with God by the Spirit. 
And it's um, the spirit that brings us into our identity, and the identity that we have is because of Jesus. So one way we can think about this is that all of the things that Jesus has done in his life, you think about his ministry, you think about his teaching, you think about, his, of course, his death on the cross, you think about his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, where they, together, the book of Acts says, pour out the Holy Spirit. You think about that, that life, and the striking claim of the New Testament writers is they say, Yes, that life was specific and important in terms of Jesus' identity as like the Son of God by nature. Um, but they do this curious little thing where they start beginning to talk about how Christians are people who have also been brought into Christ's baptism and his life and his death and resurrection, and there that his father becomes their father, that he calls God Abba, and then by the Spirit, they begin to call God Abba or Father, right? So the, it's a totally new way of reading the Gospels because, of course, this, this first po- point that needs to be said is that, that Jesus really is being revealed as a Son of God uniquely by nature. But there's also the secondary part where the kind of life that the Holy Spirit enables us to live is the life of immersion into um, Christ's actual journey, right? And so in the book of Ephesians, for example, Paul will continually talk about being in Christ. It's like every other word. And honestly, I think most of us, myself included, just skip over. We're like, I don't know what you're talking about. These run-on sentences and in Christ, in Christ, it's like thrown in every other word. But what he's really trying to point you to is to say, salvation is not something that's primarily just credited to your account as though you have this big you know, debt of sin. And, and then, of course, God is like, in the person of Jesus living this perfect life, and now that can be credited to your account. Or maybe you've heard it this way, like, um, you know, the, the Father can look on you now because Jesus is kind of standing in between you and him. Have you guys heard this before? Does this sound familiar? A couple of you. Um, so we're thinking mostly in terms of kind of like, a little bit like, like almost economically, right? Like, like credits. And there, there are some places in the New Testament where it does seem like it kind of goes that direction, but it's actually not the primary metaphor. And so the primary metaphor for salvation is not about debits and credits and the abstract. As though Jesus were across the room and he's like, hey, I did the good work, so you're off the hook. You know? Or if he's standing in front of us, you know, so like looking at the Father, like you can't see them in their, their you know, wretchedness, like I'm here, it's okay. Um, but rather, actually, there's something much more powerful going on where salvation is understood as union with Jesus and that's a, a really bold claim. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be united to Jesus? Well, put simply, it means this similar kind of thing of being filled with the Spirit. Because, of course, in the, in the um, days of the disciples, they're following Jesus around. He's their rabbi. And many of you guys have wondered, probably, as of I, like, well, how are we supposed to do this work of discipleship if these guys who spent time with him, who ate meals with him, who like, like could actually like touch him and get a hug from him and like follow him around and see what he did. Like, it makes sense that they're like his disciples, his apprentices, his followers, because they're with him. But what about us? Like, we're not in the flesh in the first century in Palestine. We're here in 21st century, like Northwest Arkansas. So like, what does that even mean to be a disciple or follower? Is that even possible? And if so, how can we do that? Is that something we just do in the abstract, like we were talking before? Is it just kind of living up to his teachings or some ideas about him? Is it just affirming truths? Like, yeah, check the box. No, it's ongoing interactive relationships, just like the disciples. But Jesus says this, it's better that I go so that the Spirit can come. And so the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus with us, 
who helps us live into our identity and our union with Jesus, it brings to mind, Jesus says this, he says even before the Spirit comes, he says, the Spirit will remind you all the things I've told you. And so both in Jesus's ministry and his life and his teaching, the Spirit comes to unite us with him, right? So that we can begin to live life in the kingdom of God, live life united with Jesus. And I wanted to just take this paradigm, which might be a little bit of a shift for some of us, and I want to talk about just one scene that happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Actually, all four Gospels note it, which is a little bit rare. They don't always relay all the same stories, but all four Gospels decided that they needed to begin. All those authors said, we need to begin at the same place. And the place they want to begin is where? At Jesus' baptism, okay? And this is a really crucial scene because, like we said before, Jesus is being revealed as the Son of God, by nature, unique. Also, when you begin to read the New Testament and realize that you, yourself, are being united in this kind of a baptism, right? So even in the end of Matthew, think about being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is what Jesus actually says disciples of his are going to be. And the reference point for that kind of baptism is in the Gospels. It's this baptism, right? There isn't another baptism that Jesus has than this one. And so if you are to be united with him, it's to be in this kind of a scene. And what happens in this scene, right? John's at the Jordan, John the Baptist. He's at the Jordan. We just talked about this at the beginning of the month. We talked about Israel going through the Jordan the first time. Here's the second time, recapitulation. It's a renewal movement for repentance. But then something happens in the middle of it. John, uh, John sees Jesus coming, and he rightfully calls him out as the Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world. But actually, what happens at the Jordan is that right? The Spirit comes in bodily form like a dove. Not a dove, just to be clear here, but, uh, but like a dove. That'll make more sense a little bit later on. Um, like a dove. And then the voice of the Father coming and saying to, to the Son, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Beloved. So when, when Paul in Ephesians 1 begins to talk to Christians and call them the Beloved, He's not getting that language from nowhere, right? This is coming from your baptismal identity that actually to be in Christ is to be united with him in his death, burial, resurrection, right? And so we actually get to be brought into the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his father. We get to be brought in as the beloved. And it's so crucial that we understand this because, of course, we have these other identities that are, 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 are other um, pulls that we have that are trying to, to define us in these other ways. But our belovedness is the thing that's true at our core. It's the thing that's true from the day that you're born to the day that you die. If you guys ever think about this, but I'm sitting with people in various stages of life, like so much of what we attach our um, identity to happens between the ages of like maybe like late teens to somewhere in late 60s or 70 maybe. And it's like this window of like productivity and value. And when you're younger than that, you're always preparing for that. When you're, when you're older than that, you're supposed to be looking back on it. And it's, it's, I think it just shows us how, like, how frail and how like, um, thin that kind of identity is. Because if you're only valuable when you're able to be really cranking and productive and and what if you get sick in the middle of it, right? What if you are like dealing with mental health crisis? What if you're on the margins? What if you're coming from a family, right? So all of those people get excluded from what is most valuable, what is deemed most valuable in our society. 
And the truth of the gospel, the truth of life in Jesus that is affected by the Spirit is actually that your belovedness is not something that you do. For Jesus, it happens at his baptism, which is before he does any kind of ministry at all. It's actually just the true like, fact of his being is that he's beloved by God. And so this is the kind of thing that we are brought into. Um, when I was thinking about the implications of identity and sort of like what it would be like to be kind of living in a space where you don't really know who you are, where you forget who you are. Um, there's this, uh, this movie some of you guys may have seen called Harry Potter. So have you guys seen that before? Now, up until like a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't watched that because I'm a Christian. And so, um, but, but, my, but my wife, who's, who's here this morning, um, she wasn't feeling very well. And it was sort of one of those moments of like, can I do anything to help you? You know, that kind of, and she was like, well, you could watch Harry Potter with me. And so, you know, I've been fending it off for five years, but here we are. So um, I don't know who raised her, but um, so, so it was interesting because as I'm thinking about this, so the Harry Potter story, as y'all might know, I know it came out in like 2002, so some spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I think I'm the last one. So in the Harry Potter story, uh, Harry's, you know, the scene kind of opens, I, I assume in the first book, I have only seen the movie, but uh, it, it opens with him living like in a closet under his like um, aunt and uncle's stairs, right? And he's not, he's not being treated very well. He's um, kind of being abused and he doesn't really know much about who he is. He doesn't know much about like where he came from, what he's for, and honestly, like a lot of us, he's just kind of like just trying to survive and kind of live life and make do with what he has. But there's this, this uh, moment in the beginning of that movie, right, where, um, where a letter comes for Harry, right? Uh, the messenger owl, I looked this up. Okay, the messenger owl brings, yeah, I wanted to be correct because I knew somebody would correct me. We don't, we don't need those kinds of emails. So, um, so the messenger owl comes and brings this invitation and he, and he opens it, and he's, it's, like this, it's like this invitation to the school, but it's more than that. It's actually like to his whole future. He starts to come into, he, what he learns is he's actually, he's, he's not just this like orphan kid who's just kind of like living under the stairs, trying to eke out an existence, but actually he, his parents, like he's actually a wizard, not very Christian, but he's, he's a wizard, and his parents are, you know, his deceased parents are also wizards, and he's coming from this, like this family inheritance, like he has like a destiny, okay? But of course, you know, as the scene goes on, uh, the, his aunt and uncle who are trying to kind of push him down, they tear up the letter and they throw it in the fire and this whole thing. And there's this particular scene where, maybe you guys have seen this, where, the, all, where all of a sudden all these owls start coming and landing on his, on his lawn outside his, his aunt and uncle's house. And they are incessantly bringing all of these letters until the letters begin to float around the house and there is no way to shut it down. And I want to be careful to draw too strong of a parallel between messenger owls and the Holy Spirit. But, <laughs> but there, is, there is an invitation from the Spirit to our true identity, to our true belovedness. There is an invitation that comes from the persistence of the Spirit that says, you're not just going like, to live this life where you're just trying to eke it out and like, figure out how to survive but actually you were made for something. You have like an inheritance. This is the truth of your being. Later on, Paul will talk about how 
this is how he describes being led by the Spirit, which is our theme. He says, um, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. So what was true of Jesus by nature becomes true of us by adoption. Jesus is called the firstborn among many children or brethren. You've received a spirit of adoption, and because of this spirit, when we cry, Abba, Father, which is how Jesus talked to the Father, that's how he talked to God. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's like those messenger owls. (laughs) And if we're children, then heirs. We have an inheritance. We have an identity. We have a life. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we also might be glorified with him. And so this life, of course, involves like tribulation and hardship and suffering. But it also involves being known by God and knowing God by the Spirit. And the persistent God by the Spirit who comes to us and reminds us of our identity, reminds us of our sonship, our daughtership, the, the way that we actually stand before God. We come united to Jesus in love. Romans 5.5 5 talks about how the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if we think about the Spirit, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's true that mission is, is enabled by the Spirit. It's true that the Spirit gives gifts. It's really important. The Spirit gives fruit in our life. It gives formation. But primarily, all of those things have this origin point in the love of God. That's how we know that we're in Christ. That's how we know that we're beloved. Is that it's the persistence of the Spirit that comes bringing messages of our identity, invitations to live life with God. And uh, knowing, knowing God and knowing God's love through the Spirit. The scriptures say that perfect love casts out fear. And... Uh, there's a lot of us carrying fears, you know? We carry fears of um, being not enough, fears of being too much, fear of not being lovable if we uh, were actually to show our true selves, if we were to be that vulnerable. And so the question this morning, the invitation from the Spirit is, will we let the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, will we let the spirit of adoption that confirms our, our union with Jesus, that we're loved, that we're in Christ, cast out the fear. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Renew us and refresh us. Remind us of things you've told us. Pour out the love of the Father in our hearts this morning. And Lord, especially for my brothers and sisters who are wounded, who are feeling shut down or shut off to love, maybe even feeling a little numb right now. Lord, we ask for the comfort. Your spirit is called the comforter. Your spirit's called the helper, the paraclete, the, the helping presence. 
So we ask, Lord, for your helping presence with us this morning to take steps towards you because your invitations come and they're good ones. Invitations to our identity, invitations to our life with you, invitations to the life that you have for us, things that you have for us, good things that you have for us to do in the world. Yeah, remind us of our sonship. Remind us that we're children. And Lord, I ask right now even for the courage for, for us to be able to let you in and to be able to pray in the Spirit that we be able to like actually address you, not just in the abstract, but in the personal. Just know, not just knowing things about you, but actually knowing you. And we thank you for your spirit of wisdom and revelation. We thank you for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.